0: Wonderwork power in the pressure as they seem are not the results of massive You may wish to adjust the dial you are currently tuned into the wrong station.
1: People around here. them that know uh, They don't take too kindly to it. Not that they say it to my face. <laughs> but, uh... I suppose you can take care of yourself. And if you want to have a drink with me, uh, just fucking sit there. Uh, I won't argue with you. Me, I don't mind either way. Just here to pass the time. Not much to... Do at home, sip, drink in a room, colder than this one. <laughs> Some advice for you. Just keep working till you die, if you can. Because once you stop, you won't start again. And you'll wish you were dead already. Pinkerton. Near 30 years. Yeah, that's... Why folks here don't like me. And why they won't say it to my face. Huh. Let me tell you something. Story from a long time ago. <coughs> I was born north of here. Big city. Me, kid sister, my mom, my pa. Who worked at the uh, ironworks it was this uh, workers strike people wanted to organize get prickly about wages no my pa he always said you want more you work more hours and he had people to feed so he wasn't interested in striking he broke the line and some people they didn't like that one day in the middle of all this, I'm walking my sister home from school. Not too far from the works. A uh, straight line from school to home took you right past it, in fact. So, this one day, we pass the place and the crowd, you know. Uh, these people, they, they, they know who we are. After we've gotten a few dozen paces past, I turn my head back and see that there's these two guys following us, young fellas, and they start shouting, tell your daddy to watch out, rat bastard, a piece of shit. Well, I see how scared my sister is, so I grab her hand tight and tell her to walk faster. She does, and so do they. We run. They follow, still screaming. We start ducking around corners, but my sister's dragging her heels, and I try and think fast, but uh, (laughs) I wind up thinking fast and dumb. Take us right to a dead-end alleyway. We're alone now, you understand? Alone with them, and I can see the blood in their eyes, mouths frothing, feel the heat coming off their skin, hear their animal breath almost slavering, and me, I'm so afraid I start seeing things, fangs and claws like they're gonna rip us apart, the things they're saying now I can't even understand, I hold my sister close and get ready for the worst. And then, I hear a crack and a thud. My eyes shot open, and by that time, the first guy's already splayed out on the ground with his arms and legs not sitting right, blood coming out of his right ear. I covered my sister's eyes and tried to get a handle on what was happening. The second man uh, had his back to me, shouting at someone else. And before I could see who it was, an arm holding a short, black club came swinging from the side and cracked that second guy right on the temple. And he drops like a bag of bricks at the feet of one of the biggest men I'd ever seen. Must have been six and a half feet tall, wide with a barrel chest. And he was wearing a black coat and a bowler hat. He had this short club in his hand, gripped, limber and firm, like it's part of his arm. And as the second guy on the ground starts groaning and crawling, he gets another sharp crack on the back of his skull. This tall, dark man, he looks at me, bending back up from that now, still body on the ground. And he stared in my eyes for a moment, eyes piercing blue almost, white, all white, and uh, he gave me a little gesture, turn to the chin, you know, out of the alley and back to where there were more people. And then he walked away. There was more blood in the city that day, but I didn't see it, only... Heard it from my pa. You see, his pa had brought in the agency and the strikers and the Pinkertons had gotten into it that day and all the way into the night. And I knew who said I was on, decided on that and a lot of things that night. As for the between then and now, well, there's... There's not much to say. Worked for them for a long time. Good years. And I was good at it. Little mining town like this. Shithole out in the middle of the rolling hills. Oh, that was my specialty. Security. Uh, cracking down on high graders, Keeping the animals in check when they got up in arms. Animals. That's what I took to calling them. It's what I thought, a man, you know, a human being, has sense. He works, is paid what he's owed, and finds his way. When he's hungry, he finds food by some human way. Doesn't bark and howl, doesn't bite the hand. No, when you do that, you're no longer a man, you're a beast. Well, anyway... Suppose that's why I picked this place to settle down. Felt familiar... And familiar is what I want. Except sometimes when I don't. And then I just... Drink until I stop thinking. <clears throat> it's no surprise then that my... Last job... Last assignment works in a mining town just like that, like this. You see, there had been some killings. Workers found dead in the morning out in the thoroughfare and quarries for anyone to find. And it was causing problems. People on edge getting antsy. Workers didn't feel safe. Bosses didn't like the agitation. And my instructions were clear find out what was going on and put a stop to it by whatever means I felt were appropriate. It was... uh, uh, No. uh, It's not important where it was. Only that we got there after a few weeks' travel, horses on dirt road, before the trains could take you anywhere, you know. Me and A handful of agents under my command. There was... Johnston. Best shot I'd ever seen. King. Not as good, but... Hell with a knife. And... Eddie... uh, He knew how to scare people. Good agents. All of them. Good at what they did. It was morning when we got there. Barely past dawn. And we... Had a little surprise waiting for us right there on the road into town. Now, they'd said there had been killings happening, but the uh, agency had spared the details. Or maybe the mining company had, who fucking knows. But either way, uh, this was a little more than just killing. Landry, they told me the man's name had been. His insides were... All outside, his outside somewhere else, and they were smeared across the dirt road, just a few hundred yards away from the workers' tents. Still, mostly in one piece, but his guts and things had been scattered around. A leg, too. One arm was missing. He'd gone out for an evening walk, they told me. There hadn't been any attacks in a few weeks, So it seemed safe. No one had heard anything. Only the wind and wolves far away. Now, before you think it, it wasn't wild animals that did this. You could tell that straight away. For one, uh, someone would have heard the screams. This man died quickly, without a sound. Probably... (coughs) He didn't even see what it was. And uh, besides, there was a savagery to this that was more than nature, animal, kind that I knew best. Um, But there was nothing to do about it uh, right then, so I went and made a visit to the owner before digging into anything. Now, I don't know how many... Of that type you've met in your life. Owners, I mean, boxes But they are a type. Especially the ones who oversee things themselves. Walking around in their dusty hats and muddy boots. As if they're gonna grab a fucking shovel and start digging themselves. Usually I can't stay in the airs. But, uh... Broadbeck was his name. William Broadbeck. He was all right, uh, I thought. He you shook your hand and you could feel it was rough. This is a man who worked for what he had. Old money who'd muscled his way into the comstock and become big money. And that takes balls. Started a few mining operations of his own. This one being the latest. And uh, there he was in his office. Unworried smile under his gray mustache. Nice way of speaking you could see how a man like this would have a civilizing effect out here where otherwise it'd all be catholics and cornish mud on his fucking boots but uh, it seemed fitting we talked made pleasant i asked him what he knew normal procedure but halfway through that conversation something Caught me off guard, not something that happened too often. There was a knock at the door. Broadback says, come in. And then, a huge, bulking frame I had not seen in many years walked into the room. The Pinkerton, my Pinkerton, though I knew he wasn't with the agency anymore. I'd always wanted to meet him after I was hired uh, thank him for what he did for me and my sister. But uh, I never did, and uh, then a few years later I'd heard he'd gone independent to work for some high-rolling client. Didn't think I'd ever see him again, and it was the last thing I was expecting here. But there he was, hardly changed a day after close to four decades. Just as tall, all that hard muscle still bulging in the dark clothes. Only thing different was that the sideburns under his hat were now a shining shade of silver. And uh, despite how I must have been staring, he took no note to of me. All he said was, "Medicine," in a low grumble. Oh yes, Broadbeck said, carefree like. I'm always forgetting. Seemed right to excuse myself then. In my experience, medicine usually meant dope, and you don't want a rich man thinking you're nosing into that kind of thing. So I got up to leave, and as I passed by the door, the... Well, I'll just keep calling him the Pinkerton. I tried to catch his eye, see if there was Any recognition that passed between us. And I don't know about all that. But he did look at me for a second. With a look that said a lot of things. Or nothing. Couldn't tell. (sighs) Well, uh, that left me with questions. Like uh, how all this killing could keep happening under... His nose, But, you know, I didn't brood on it at the time. Simple answers. That's what you look for in that line of work. Always best. And often right. Now, there weren't too many possibilities to begin with. This operation was on land that had been settled for a long time. We're not talking about the Black Hills here. So it wasn't some tribe... And this being outlaws was almost just as unlikely. So, we started doing interviews with workers. Squeezing. Hearing about the dead men. Who their friends were. Enemies. Their opinions. Now, that's an important one. Opinions and enemies. Those two things are a step away from each other. And uh, I wasn't seeing any Obvious connection between the killings, but I was starting to smell opinions. So we started squeezing harder. You understand, uh, when a man like me asks you what you think your boss, your instinct is probably to give the right answer. It's a good instinct, but break a few toes or smash a hand with a hammer you can bring the real answer out. People didn't like Broadbeck. They thought he was greedy. Of all the fucking childish things to say. If you work in a mine, you have to accept that you might have some rocks fall on you. And the company isn't going to feed your family if that happens. That's not greedy, that's business. But some people can't accept that, and in this place I could feel there was unrest simmering under the surface, maybe even organization. And that made things start making sense to me, because you see, organization is just that. It's people coming together, and if they don't all come together, you get a few good ones rocking the boat then it don't work you get my old pa breaking a strike that throws their organization out of sorts you get a few miners who aren't too keen on making a mess of what they got and maybe they get made an example of maybe someone makes a mess out of them i'd seen it before i'd lived it though i've never seen it as brutal or disgusting as this. Never heard of a man getting his head ripped off and his body thrown down into the quarry to break apart from the fall. Uh, But it was only a step from what I had seen and my gut told me the animals were capable of it. Uh, There was Uh, one other thing that nagged at me, though. There was this one fella, one who we'd especially put the herd on, and uh, while he was crying and nursing his mangled fingers, he started muttering something. A silver beast, he said. I saw it, but they don't believe me. Then he just started sobbing, and Eddie kicked him out onto the street. Nonsense, you know, Uh, but the words lingered for some reason, and I thought of the kind of person who would have the power to rip off limbs and break bones, but I pushed it to the back of my mind, besides, uh, give any kid a hatchet and they can work through a neck eventually. No, I had my hunch, and I made a plan, a good, simple plan. First, we needed bait. That came easy enough. Found a handful who could do it while we conducted the interviews. Eager to earn, weary of their co-workers' plight. A little more loose-lipped with us. Maybe a bit unpopular with their fellows. We settled on one of them. I don't remember his name. Took a bit of convincing. But after a little chat, he came to understand just who he should be more afraid of. And uh, I told him he might even get a few dollars out of it, just to sweeten things. Plan was simple. He goes out at night, and we tail him. When whoever, and however many of them, came out of the shadows to make an example out of him. We'd blast him to hell. Uh, The first night was quiet. The four of us followed our bait, staying in the darkness of shacks and trees, wherever he took his little stroll. But uh, nothing happened. Didn't see a soul and didn't hear a sound, except for the wind and the wolves. Second night, more the same, nudged our guy to stir the pot a bit during the day, get some people angry. Maybe the rabble-rousers were being cautious on account of our being there. But still, no one else out and about. No, nothing that second night. Except for, uh, well, except for one thing. Around midnight, when it was, I'd Just checked my watch a few minutes before and I heard something, we all heard it, sound of glass being smashed. Not from around where we were, or closer to the tents and worker shacks, not down where the mine was either, but up by where the nicer buildings were, where the geologists and supervisors worked and lived, where Broadbeck's office was, I told my agents to stay put. This could have been a distraction, but still I'd go and see for myself. And uh, just like how it sounded, what I found was a broken window up on the second floor of one of those nicer buildings. Shards of glass were spread out on the dirt street like something had come flying out of it. No light coming from inside, though. And uh, right as I finally got my bearings in the dark and realized where exactly I was, all of a sudden I felt this chill run down my spine. I turned quickly, hand on my holster. I—I I, I, I don't know. Even now, I thought I saw something—something something in the darkness, dark itself with maybe a glint to it. I started to sweat, even though the night was cool. Something in my gut told me I should be afraid. I drew and pointed out into the darkness at nothing in particular. And only after a few minutes of that did my heart start to settle. Only then did I feel safe to turn my back and go the way I'd come. Though uh, I never did completely shake the feeling, the whole rest of that night, that something was watching me, that hungry eyes were somewhere out there where I couldn't see. Those last few hours till morning uh, passed mostly quiet. The wolves sounded closer, and then it was the third night, the one. It finally all happened. The morning before, I went to take another look at that building, just out of curiosity to see if there was something I'd missed in the night, and, uh, and if it was the one I'd thought it was. Someone had cleaned up the glass on the road, and the window was boarded up, and up on the balcony right next to it, was brought back, having his morning coffee. He gave me a smile and a tip of the hat, asked how close I was to catching someone. Close, I said. Good, he said. And then his smile drooped a bit, and his tone changed. Because it's not good for business. By which uh, he certainly meant, if you don't do your job, it won't be good for you and don't mind the window he added smiling again my man tripped while putting out the lamp by my man what he meant was the pinkerton who'd now come out onto the balcony too and i could see there was a bandage wrapped around his arm and he gets this look on his face yeah it's an obvious lie one Clearly doesn't like, though it's hard to tell why exactly he don't like it. He didn't say anything, of course, because he's a professional. And I didn't ask about it, because, again, that's not why I was there. I just tipped my own hat and went on my way. And felt a strange and familiar shiver when I turned my back. close to midnight again is when it happened I almost have expected it uh, not for any reason except for some freak otherworldly sense we were down near the quarry out in some trees by the edges around it. When Johnston nudges me, something was happening. A bait, he'd been walking in a circuit, and right then he was passing near some small shacks where the soups did some of their business. Except he wasn't walking anymore. He was just looking around at what exactly we couldn't tell from where we were. Nobody's come down the road that leads from the town to the quarry, not that we've seen, or up from the quarry itself. And then the wind shifts, and it carries with it a sound. And we finally realize what's got our bait frozen with fear a grumble. on again, and I start sweating, and I feel animal eyes on me. And then another sound comes, the scritch-scratch of claw on wood. The bait must uh, realize where it was coming from first, cause he stops looking around, though he doesn't stop shaking. He can see his hands rattling from fifty paces off. And he just cranes his head up, up to the roof of one of those little shacks. And as we turn our eyes there, we see it too eyes burning in the dark with red balefire, eyes inside of a dark shape. Something human and beastly all at once, on all fours, crawling on the rooftop, looking down at the bait, the prey. And there's a quick snarl and a flash of pearly fangs, and that's all there is before it's jumped down faster than the eye can see, and it's on top of the man. He started screaming. A scream quickly cut off into an ugly gurgle, and we ran out for the trees. And, well, I can't speak for the others now, but in that moment, I, I wasn't thinking about how we'd sent that man to his death or about how I'd been wrong with everything I'd assumed. I was only taken in this thing I was looking at as it tore through muscle and bone as it ripped off an arm and then reared up and its blood-soaked maw started opening wide, then wider until you could see the muscles of its own jaw start to tear and hear the sinew crack and dribble blood down onto the patchy hair on its chest until its mouth was nearly a, a flat hole. And it was shoving that arm down into its gullet without even chewing and all i thought right then was that this thing needed to be killed johnston shot first and he shot wide i guess talent don't mean a thing when your hand is trembling with primal fear the beast looked up from its dinner shoving the rest of that morsel down into itself and then let out a roar that sent red spit flying the others stuttered in their advance but i kept moving forward and got close enough to take a shot of my own and i guess uh, well my aim was true but i guess my hand was too slow i drew my gun on the beast and shot it right where it was but it moved faster than my eyes could see and my bullet just smacked into that dead man's messy corpse with a wet thud and All of a sudden I hear another wet sound and I looked over to my left Just in time to see what had happened to Johnston the creature standing over him and Johnston just Looking down at the straight gash in his own belly and his guts down in the dirt (sighs) In the next few moments of it was all just chaos and blood and fucking confusion. Johnson goes down to his knees, never to come back up. And next thing, the beast jumps onto King. Eddie and me draw up, but King and it are, are so tangled up we don't, we don't know what we're aiming at. And then, the world goes calm for, for just a second. Calm, only in the sense that you can get a picture of things. I don't know how he managed it, but King had somehow gotten his knife into that thing's left paw, pinning it to the ground like Christ's hand on the cross. It howls in anger, such a wrathful devil sound that it stops my heart beating. King tries to crawl away backwards on his back and elbows, but the beast's other too long almost human arm comes reaching down and gets a hold of King by his face. And you can see the ripple and effort as it presses down hard, and King's head just crumples into the earth like an old tin can. My survival instincts overtake my shock, and I shoot again. And this time I do hit it with a splut in the shoulder and a spurt of dark blood. And it turns with another furious snarl, and when it does, Eddie clips in the leg. It lets out another animal sound, this one more pain than rage, and stumbles back. I pull on my hammer, Eddie he does too, and we get ready to send this beast to hell when I get that feeling again. That shiver comes down my spine, and I feel death staring at me. Only, it wasn't coming from that beast. A beast that, now that I was properly looking at it, wasn't as tall or wide as I might have secretly expected it to be. Drop him, I hear in a low grumble that echoes out through the open air, and I turn my head to see. Well... You seem smart, I'm sure you can guess. There he was, walking out from the tree line, huge in the darkness, and with blue eyes that didn't burn, but killed with ice. Drop him, he says again, and my arm falls like I'm a scared little boy all over again. Drop him, he says one last time, this time just to Eddie. And now he's up on us. Eddie doesn't drop it. Just turns his head to say something. though what I will never know. Because the Pinkerton doesn't say it no fourth time. His hand just goes up to Eddie's throat. And with a quick squeeze and a sick crunch. Down he goes. And now that my arm was down. And Eddie's down. He didn't pay too much more mind to me. He just walks on over to that beast. And things slow down a little. Just enough for me to pick up on something. A recognition passes between the two of them. The beast and the pinkerton. Kind of like the way it might pass between you and a stray dog you run into every now and then. The creature, it, uh, it makes a kind of whimpering noise, and its eyes go soft, and almost trembles a bit. Of course, you can't ever be sure that a stray dog won't snap at you, and sure as that, the injured, bleeding beast becomes a wild animal again and takes a swipe at him with one of those long, sinewy arms that killed two of my boys faster than I can even see. And the Pinkerton, well, it's like swatting a fly. He catches the arm by its hairy wrist and takes out a short, black club I had not seen for many years and cracks the beast on the side of its head. And down it goes, and all this seems like no surprise to him at all. He just reaches down, hoists it up and throws it over his shoulder. And then he looks to me. And, uh, and you know, I still don't know to this day whether he recognized me from all those years back. Probably not, but maybe. He certainly don't indicate one way or the other. He just looks at me and says You didn't see nothing then walks off. Still don't know which of the two of them was the silver beast, though I guess that's something else I'll never know. Hmm uh, First thing next morning After a long night of me cleaning up and uh, arranging things, I made one last visit to Broadbeck's office. He stayed, sitting for this last meeting. I could see the cane sitting beside his chair and the bandages around his head and shoulder. Well, I'm sorry about your men, he says, but I'm glad you found our killer, one of my own employees. Who could have guessed? And uh, I get this feeling like my stomach is turning as he says this. Because to me it sounds like he really believes it. A simple lie would have been easy to swallow. Business as usual. But this was different. And uh, I could tell you how the rest of the meeting goes. The pleasantries and all that. Yeah, but I won't. I'll just tell you that before I left his office, it was a familiar knock on the door. And I turned to see a man that I would never see again. And he doesn't look at me. He just says, Medicine. Oh, yes, of course. I'm always forgetting, aren't I? Rodbeck says. Still, carefree-like. So carefree, it's hard to tell if he really understands what he's doing. Or if he just doesn't care. If he likes it, and in a few months, some other sorry crew gets called in for a set-up job. But as I got up to leave, he said one last thing that sort of answers that. You know, the doctors say that a man with my condition should be at home under medical supervision. But I just can't help needing to be out of here to keep an eye on things. It's my business, after all. Ah. Broadbeck ended up writing a very nice letter to the agency after that. Praised my effectiveness and discretion. Though, I'm sorry to say, the effort was wasted since I retired uh, not too long after. Or, more, uh, more like, uh, I was encouraged to retire, really. Never was as good of a job after that. See, uh, I still believe what I believe. I, I want to. Uh, Broadbeck, he was only one man. Get these nagging thoughts they nag so bad they make me sick thoughts about humans and animals and who's who about hunger the hunger of desperation and a different bottomless hunger and about those two fellows from the iron works slowly dying of brain damage in a dark alleyway And I think about the Pinkerton, who sees the world completely for what it is, sees his place in it, and still holds his conviction, does his job, because uh, now I've seen my place in it too, and uh,
0: I don't know if I like it. This week's episode, Pinkerton, was written and performed by Anthony Batello. The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to Mac Hillier, Alex, and a very special thanks to Ryan Johnston, Kyle King, and Edward for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Elon Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time...